Hey, all right. It's episode three, take three, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Three is a good number. Three is a good three for three. I mean, yeah. you know, my internet's behaving so far. Um, let's see what happened. It uh, It crapped out on the first attempt and then another attempt yeah. what the uh the file corrupted <laughs> one of the files corrupted so we sounded alternately like robots then like mini mouse then like slowed down like horrific drunks like <laughs> like we were yawning out the words oh yeah things did not go well maybe we first oh no oh see she's dropping a hint for uh what's to come <laughs> today's topic is cursed families mm-hmm. there you go bless their hearts oh goodness these people i gotta say i don't feel bad for a lot of them <laughs> they got their themselves into it themselves by their uh stellar decisions yeah yeah i i'm like you guys you did not make good choices you were not very kind <laughs> Maybe this could have been avoided. Then curse. So say it's all that. It's like the insanity defense or the I was possessed by demons defense. I'll just go, mm, eh, maybe not. Oh, before we get started, thank you to everyone who's listened, of course, and double thanks to everybody who's rated and reviewed and commented. Yes, thank you. It's awesome. <laughs> helps us out a lot. We'd like to climb some charts, you know, just let's see how far we can get. Cause it seems like you have to be famous or famous adjacent already to get numbers. And I'm like, wouldn't it be awesome if just two random gals were able to really just kick it in yeah. the ass? That'd be great. <laughs> and we've also, Oh, we've gotten submissions. We've gotten one is a personal story and one's about a creature that, they wanted us to have a run at, and it has a hilarious name. I won't spoil it, but um, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's a good, it's a goodie. Well, should we? And you know, should we do like little bitties with those, like the week in between? Because this is you know biweekly, everybody. Oh yeah, this is a biweekly podcast called "You Totally Made That Up," where we cover stories with paranormal and supernatural elements. We try to cover ones that are more obscure, but. The kind of stories that are true to the people who live them, even though there might not be much truth there once you start digging. But just basically the crazy stuff. And sometimes it covers, you know, it'll edge into historical stuff. And we love to get science in there if we can. True crime. There's, there's, true crimes come up a lot. It has. No, yeah. So welcome, everybody. Sorry, we just kind of jumped in. (laughs) Just kind of jumped in. That's good, though. I kind of want us to not be the podcast that drones on about our personal lives or whatever before we get to the actual story. I was thinking about if we do little shorties in between, I was trying to think of what they'd be called. Like I've been signing stuff off at the blog, stay spooky. And I've no idea why I just started doing it. <laughs> so I was like, should we call them spookies or spooky shorts or spooky shorts? Sounds like a really bad clothing item though. I don't know. <laughs> It's like it's Halloween year round. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll figure out something, but I think that would be fun. We can take turns or we can each hop in there and talk about what has been uh, presented to us. I think that I think a lot of you guys would enjoy it. I know 
it's it's been new to me and it's been a lot of fun <laughs> oh yeah so you guys submit your stuff and and it doesn't matter if something you know crazy if it didn't happen to you if it's like a family story or something that happened in your in your town or whatever it could be anything mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's fun to include local stuff because you can be like i've been there <laughs> But yeah, oh, like no conspiracy theories, though. I will say that. I didn't tell you this, but I was talking to a friend the other day about what we were doing. And she goes, I hope that you're prepared. You know, if you get popular, the onslaught of crazy that you're going to get if you talk about stuff, you know, like there was no moon landing or the earth is flat. And, and I do think that that stuff follows, I mean, follows, falls under the you totally made that up genre banner category. Um, no. No, I'm not touching that <laughs> stuff with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's too speculative. No, thank you. <laughs> speculative is a very kind vocabulary <laughs> word. We're going to stick with the, with the werewolves, you guys. Yeah. Cryptids. Love it all. Love it all. But today, today is curses, family curses. And we might revisit curses later, like cursed individuals or cursed I had on the list you know like cursed locations and definitely cursed objects because god knows there's going to be like dolls and puppets making that list mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah for sure so yeah this this will be these topics are uh they give us a lot to go with so <laughs> mm -hmm. do you want to go first since I went first last time oh yeah it's my turn huh uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got our cursed families, which they definitely seem to suffer an awful lot of misfortune and tragedy. My main story is a little more um, obscure. I mean, they didn't even have a Wikipedia page, you guys. Heavens. <laughs> so, you know, I'll jump into that in a minute. But first, you know, let's kind of just go over because you know that these are going to come up two of the more famous families that have been cursed. And you hear about these stories and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 they've got a lot of, of tragedy, but there are actually some apparent sources behind these curses. The first one is the Grimaldi's of Monaco. And oh, so there's an actual curse behind yeah. that? Yeah. Get out, yeah. okay. <laughs> now, so the Grimaldi's of Monaco, you probably know about them because of, uh, you know, Grace Kelly. She became Princess Grace when she married Prince Rainier, and she abandoned Hollywood and all that glamour to be a princess. I mean, pff, who's going to leave that behind? <laughs> but I know. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. That might have been a lateral move. That might have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but their, their family name is Grimaldi, which is something that a lot of people might not know, kind of like how the, the royal family of Britain, they're the Windsors. You just kind of think of them as, you mm -hmm. know, Prince William and Queen Elizabeth. The Grimaldis, they have suffered an awful lot of uh, misfortune in the relationship department. This seems to be a, a curse that affects them with death scandals, divorces, unapproved relationships, you know, kind of all of the stuff that goes along with bad love, bad loving. So... Prince Rainier III passed away in, in 2005, and he had been married to Princess Grace. She died back in 1982 when she had a stroke and her car went off a cliff. And 
I guess there were some rumors around the time that their daughter, Stephanie, had been driving the car, but that was a whole bunch of BS, and, you know, she got cleared of that. And then there were other rumors that they had already been having marriage trouble before she had her accident. Then Princess Stephanie, she had two kids with her bodyguard, and then she divorced him because he was cheating on her with a model, and so then she got another bodyguard, and then had another relationship with that guy, and had another child, and then she had another failed marriage. So she was with um, bodyguards, (laughs) she had a relationship with an elephant trainer, circus acrobat... This, this, then this a, girl's running then off zebra, yeah. then a zebra, <laughs> then a elephant trainer, acrobat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so she had a bunch of kids out of wedlock. Prince Albert, he had kids with two different women. He dated models and actresses and was kind of doing the whole playboy lifestyle. Didn't really settle down until 2011. Now he is the current ruler of Monaco. Princess Caroline... She married someone against her parents' wishes when she was 19, and this guy was a known playboy, so they were probably right to to do that and try and save her, but she didn't listen. They ended up getting divorced about two years later. She requested an annulment, but they wouldn't allow it, and then she got married again. That lasted about seven years, and now she's been married since 99, so maybe things are on an upswing. But all of this relationship drama ends up going back to a curse that was put on the family around 1297. When uh, Jesus. Yeah, so it's been a while. And I mean, those are just the modern monarchs that we're aware of. You know, there's who knows how many stories that go back in the family tree. So a Genovese nobleman, Francesco Grimaldi, he captured the Rock of Monaco. And that's what started their ruling there as a family. And he did this by dressing as a monk so that he could get access to the fortress that was there. When they opened the gate, it was revealed that he was not a monk and he had his men with him and they seized the castle. Quoting here, drunk with power, Francesco started cruelly killing heretics and witches. Yeah, so that's not a very good start to (laughs) Doesn't endear (laughs) people to you, no. He even apparently accused the woman he loved of being a witch. Why? Why, Francesco? You just got all this good stuff. So, burned her at the stake, and while she is burning, she ended up cursing his family for generations to come, saying, never will a Grimaldi find true happiness in marriage. So, she was definitely bitter. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) There's a different version that says that this woman that he burned wasn't his love, but she was a Flemish maiden that he kidnapped and raped as spoils of war. And then afterwards, she ended up studying witchcraft so that she could curse him. Oh, girl. (laughs) I'm completely on her Um, side. Yeah, yeah, me too. (laughs) But, you know, she got caught and she ended up being burned. So, yeah. So either way, it didn't really work out well for her, but I'd say that uh, she took care of him. And the Grimaldis have a nickname, which is the Kennedys of Europe. And... That seems to be kind of well-placed because the Kennedys have a curse placed on them as well. And now, of course, I I feel like we all know so much about the Kennedys. You know, I mean, they're always on the tabloids, lots of stories about them, especially, you know, recent history. You know, we know so much about them. So I'm not going to get, like, too crazy into their history. 
But I didn't know that there was an actual curse on them either. So, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I You just kind of assume that people assume bad things happen because they're wealthy. Right. Maybe. And well-known, so we know about it. But, I mean, let's get real, though, y'all. The Kennedys have had more visited on them than average, I would think it's safe to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it. They're also a huge family. <laughs> Fair enough. So maybe it's just proportionate. Fair enough. Who knows? But, you know, if, if we are going back to the curse, it's because it's 1842, and JFK's great-grandfather, Thomas, supposedly discovered a chest full of gold coins in an Irish village. Dude, he found the leprechaun's gold. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, even if you're lucky enough to find it, you're not supposed to fuck with it. But he did, and these coins were cursed. So he took them from the village, and the village was apparently destroyed. And he fled with this treasure to Boston and used it to start his business, and that became the Kennedy family fortune. I kind of am partial to that version of the curse, because I think it's hilarious to think that he robbed a leprechaun. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now we don't um, know that it was leprechaun gold but i'm very comfortable <laughs> stating it as fact you heard it here right another version of the story is that jfk's father joseph he told a rabbi and his students to stop their prayers while they were on a passenger ship together and the rabbi cursed him and claimed that his descendants would suffer great misfortune there's kind of another version of this too where it's a, a Jewish father placed a curse on Joseph after he refused to help his sons escape from a concentration camp. Or there's yet another version that says an Good entire night. Jewish yeah, <laughs> an entire Jewish village cursed Papa Joe after they discovered he was dealing weapons to the Nazis. That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Either way, he was apparently very unkind to the Jewish people. But he wasn't very kind to anybody, so <laughs> I could see him kind of inviting some of that bad mojo. So yeah, so Daddy Kennedy had a terrible reputation, and it apparently followed him and his descendants. But that's not who I'm going to tell you guys about today. You guys can look up the Kennedys, because they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Chris Pratt. Isn't Chris Pratt engaged to someone in the Kennedy family? Yeah, he's gay engaged to um, one of uh, the Schwarzenegger daughter. So, hey, there's your, there's your next curse. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, Maria Shriver. So, okay, Eunice Kennedy is one of the Kennedy kids. And by that, I mean, you know, JFK, RFK, all that crew. Eunice Shriver's, I think, one of them. And she married a guy, clearly, last name is Shriver. And then Maria Shriver, the famous journalist, married Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so now Chris Pratt's engaged to the Schwarzenegger daughter. We're kidding, Ooh. okay? <laughs> He's not a curse. Good luck, Chris. Thank Good luck. <laughs> Godspeed. All right. I'm going to tell you guys about the Hayden family. We're going to start back in the year 1798, and it's Braintree, Massachusetts, when uh, Mr. William Hayden married the probably lovely Silence Dale. And in marrying her, he also inherited her mother, Mercy Dale. I love that her name is Mercy. Oh, Mercy. <laughs> oh, Mercy. I like silence, too. Those names back then, those kind of puritanical names, kill me. Mm -hmm. I know, right? Silence. Just imagine yelling that throughout the house. Are you just demanding it, or are you calling for a child? Or are you talking Both. to me? Yeah. <laughs> so they got married 1798, and in 
about 1801, they moved to Albany, Vermont. They started having kids right away. Their first son, William Jr., we're going to call him Will. He was born in 1800. The family all together, they move in 1801. Now Mercy, because they, she was a widow and uh, apparently had a lot of money, she went along with them. And William was a bit of a businessman, but really he had just a lot of ideas for spending money. And so they moved to Albany. He builds a spinning and weaving mill. He helps set up and serve in the militia. He becomes the highway surveyor. But instead of getting a paycheck for a lot of the work he did, he would collect land as payment. Oh. Yeah, which that's great. Acquire land. And at one point he had like 900 acres of it, which is, uh, that's a lot. A lot now, (laughs) yeah. It costs, (laughs) yeah. You know, I mean, having land, it costs money. It, you you have to maintain it, and if you build stuff on it, you know, I mean, there's taxes, building costs, just all of the stuff that he acquired, and he ended up in a good amount of debt. So he turns to his wealthy mother-in-law, Mercy, and he ended up receiving several loans from her so that he can keep going with his business plans and keep things up. But he never really seemed to learn from his mistakes, and he never made any attempt to pay the loans back to Mercy. And she started to get pretty pissed off about this. So she, you know, this causes a rift in their family. And she ends up becoming really good friends and uh, in the care of the neighbors, the Rogers family. Because it gets to a point where she starts to become ill. It's like a long-term illness. And she accuses William of poisoning her. Oh. So, yeah. (laughs) So now she's living with the Rogers family, the neighbors. And it's either 1806 or 1809. The dates kind of varied in between that range. But she's finally, like, on her deathbed. And she is so pissed off still about William not repaying her and just being kind of a a no-good, rotten scoundrel that she decides to curse him before she passes. And so she says, The Hayden name shall die in the third generation, and the last to bear the name shall die in poverty. And then she died. And she was so pissed off that even at the end, she refused to be buried in the Hayden family cemetery. (laughs) And so she is laid to rest in the Rogers family plot, which those are some pretty understanding and welcoming neighbors. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like, you know, she died in their house. They took care of her when she was old. They buried her in their plot. Like, I don't even, I could not tell you any of my neighbor's names. Oh. (laughs) Different times, I suppose. Now, William and Silence just continued to live their lives after Mama Mercy perished. Uh, Like I said, their son, William, he was born in 1800, and he grew up and he was pretty happy to inherit all of the family land. The senior, William, never figured out how to pay his debts, and he eventually had to flee the country to Canada to escape his debtors and several lawsuits that he was involved in. And he eventually passed away in New York. Silence passed away at, at some point in there, too. Like, you know, the women, they end up kind of just being tossed to the side here, you guys. <laughs> That's something that I, I feel like I noticed in a lot of this, that the, uh, the men seem to take on these curses quite a bit. Which, I mean. Mm, yeah, men. <laughs> well, you know, if, you're, if they're the ones making all the decisions, then that's part and parcel, you know, to me, the consequences. So. Yeah. Yeah. Suck it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, anyways, so so little Will, he uh, he actually ends up doing okay for himself. He marries his wife Azuba. He expands the family business as a contractor, and he ends up getting into railroading. And he helps build railways all throughout New England, up into Canada, over to Michigan. So he does well, and he's pretty proud of himself, and he wants everyone else to be proud of him too. So he builds this huge grand mansion in Albany. And in 1854, uh, this house was completed. It was done by a local contractor, and the lore has it that he built it as a monument to himself. (laughs) And it's, quote, this is quoting him, to show the fools in Albany what money could do. Whoa! (laughs) That's charming! One source... (laughs) One source had mistyped it as foals. <laughs> I just kind of love the idea of him wanting to show off to young horses. <laughs> Goddamn horses. They're going to learn. <laughs> They're condescending faces. Yeah. So this house, I mean, it, it is grand. He, he definitely wanted to show off what money could do. The entire third floor was a ballroom. With a vaulted plaster ceiling, there were benches everywhere, there was a stage for an orchestra, and the floor (laughs) was actually specially designed, so it was like 18 inches thick so that it wouldn't cause damage to the ceiling below, and it was a spring floor so that the dancers could enjoy themselves a little bit more. The bathroom... (laughs) I'm sorry, carry on. Sorry, I'm picturing (laughs) just bouncy people, that's all, anyway... The bathroom had a lot of stuff that really wasn't seen in that day. There was mahogany all over the fixtures. The water tank and the commode had brass pull chains. There was a zinc tub enclosed with glass doors. There were pipes inside so that they could have a steam bath or a shower. The whole house had central heating, but they also had marble fireplaces for show. What year Um, is this again? Or roughly what year? 1854. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> he is just a show off. <laughs> he is, yeah. So the family would even take carriage rides like through their land and through the town because they wanted to flaunt their money and they also had nothing better to do. And then they graciously hosted lots of parties in the ballroom. So, you know, hey everybody, come see what my money did. Put your yeah. bounce on. Yeah. <laughs> now let's see. Will and Azuba only had one son, and he is another William, but they called him Henry because that was their middle name. So little Henry was born in 1833, and uh, he ended up growing up. He got married. He had three daughters. There was Carrie, who was born in 1859, twin daughters, Wilhelmina and Armenia. Stop doing this to twins. Just stop. (laughs) Everybody, just stop. Mm-hmm. He had another son, but his son died when he was age five in 1871. And one of the twins, Wilhelmina, she died in 1891 when she was only 17. Carrie and Armenia both continued to live, but things did not go very well for them. Over the next uh, 40 years or so, the family started to die off. You know, some typical old age and illness, some very suddenly in accidents. 
by 1892-1893, Will and Azuba had both passed away and they left all of the money in the estate to Henry. But by 1910, he had lost everything. Um, he was also very good at spending money, apparently, just like Grandpa and Daddy. And so he lost the estate. The estate ended up in battles and lawsuits over the inheritance until about 1915. But at that point, there wasn't really anyone left and there wasn't any money left. Now, Henry passed away in 1910 and he had a brain hemorrhage. His daughter, Carrie, also passed away in 1910. And from what I found, she never married, she never had any kids. And so now the very last Hayden is Armenia, and her nickname was Mamie. She was pretty embarrassed by all of the family misfortunes and all of the scandals. And she ended up leaving the estate, and she went to Waterville, Maine. And that was where she died in 1927, poverty-stricken and alone. And she had no spouse, no children. So now 1927 was the end of the Hayden line. There were no more descendants. So Mama Mercy, mm -hmm. she cursed them. They're gone. They gone. There was a line of horses outside the funerals just laughing their asses <laughs> off. And I know that I know without even asking you that there's nothing out there because I can't fathom anybody would have documented this. The clinical person in me, like, I would have loved to have known her symptoms to know if he really did poison her to get her to, yeah. you know, <laughs> shut up about the money. Right. Oh, man, I would love it. Right. Like, where was the money going to go anyway? She was a widow. You know, she was already living with them. It was probably going to end up theirs. But fair enough. Whatever. It's the I get, But I get. Go, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's the principle of the thing. That, that is exactly what I was about to say. It's probably that he didn't even try mm -hmm. to, you know. Yep. So, yeah, so that's the Hayden family. And now the, the mansion that he built, it's still there, actually. Ooh. Um, it was ended up, I, I looked into this quite a bit. There were a bunch of other families that bought it and restored it. And now I think it's owned by a private family. And hopefully they're doing a lot of dancing upstairs. Damn right. So there you go. That's my cursed family. She, I'm glad they saved the house. Of all that, all I can think about is I'm so glad they saved that house because it it really must be genuinely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a Grecian revival. Um, I saw some pictures. You can look it up online. There are some pictures. It looks really cool. It does look really, really cool in there. Don't let me forget. I'll try to find one and we'll pull it and stick it in show notes because it does sound yeah. cool. It really does sound yeah. cool. So, yeah, so, dear Mercy, she... Mercy May. Yep. She called it three generations. So what have you got? What you got? I got two royal families to give you little profiles on. And, again, it's one of those, I had a vague conception that, that they were considered cursed families, but I didn't know about the details, and I found some of the details to be remarkably entertaining. So, all right, family number one, the Coburg Kaharis. Brief, brief, brief history. The house, so the house of Saxe Coburg and the house of Gotha Kahari. It was established with the marriage of Prince Ferdinand, who was the Coburg side, and Princess Maria Antonia, who was the Kahari side, in 1816. 
but it became official official when the final patriarch died in 1826. Again, the 1800s, man, they, that century did not play around with events. No, no, no. (laughs) So that's basically, that's when everything became theirs and everything includes the Austrian empire, the kingdom of Portugal, the kingdom of Bulgaria and the empire of Brazil. So nice chunk. All right. So Antonia's brother had died prior to the dad. And so it left her the sole heir of all her father's lands and the fortune. And he was the imperial chancellor. And before his death, cool guy, we like him. He had persuaded the emperor to sign affiliation. I, I didn't look that up. I guess it's a royal decree. But it gives Antonia the status of a man, which let her inherit all his shit. So now we enter Brother Americus. This dude's a Hungarian monk, and he was a Kahari relative who was, in a word, pissed. Because Antonia got everything. Since in the eyes of the law, she was now a dude. That meant that the, all the male relatives in the line, they got dick. So he did what any normal, sane person would do, and he put the curse on their family. And oh, also complicating things was that he was apparently really hot for Antonia. And so when it came around that she was going to marry old Ferdinand, he was pissed anyway. So, you know, the money part was just icing on top of his entitled ass. And supposedly, this is how it all went down. At midnight on some day, nobody knows. He, he was going to a churchyard and he surrounds himself with candles and he says, then verily shall I pray to the Lord Almighty to visit the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of the Kahari Coburg line. Now, from what I know of Jesus, this would not be his jam. So I question this monk's knowledge of the scripture, but all right, there we go again. You know, third, it's always the third generation. All right. So fast forward, their oldest son, Ferdy II, he's ruling over Portugal. He marries a lovely named Maria, and this is when the curse kicks in. And I quote, after constant successive pregnancies and births, the royal doctors had warned Maria of the dangers of giving birth nearly every year. However, she ignored the risk that had also killed her mother, who had died of complications following a miscarriage after many births. Rather stoically, Maria viewed her own fate as unavoidable, also as a duty, saying, if I die, I die at my post. And this came to pass on November 15th, 1853, when she died while giving birth to her 11th child, the infant Eugenio, who also died several hours after his mother. All right. So she was 34 years old. I want that to let everybody have that sink in for just a second and also let it sink in. She'd given birth 11 times by that age. She had 11 pregnancies that made it to term. One kid died of cholera at a young age, but so, so, so those are just the the pregnancies that like she actually gave birth. That doesn't count like miscarriages or other things. Exactly, exactly. Oh so they God, they technically me. yeah they all made it to term, and only one kid died at a young age, and then two were stillborn. Two died shortly after birth. So yeah, the last three were like boom, 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 stillborn, and then died after birth, and then died after birth and she died too 34 years old okay all right so this was in the mid 1800s so in a way this really was unusual but on the other hand you know statistically out of 11 there's a chance of shit going wrong okay so i'm about to gloss over some tough stuff for time's sake of those who survived and went on to marry and have their own kids a good handful of them died young including their spouses And there, of course, were smatterings of repeated miscarriages and stillborns. There was murders. A former lover threw acid in one guy's face. Some were assassinated, had their lands, their rulings, whatever, taken over by coups. And then there was a mention of a Prince Philip. 
a grandson of Ferdinand and Antonia and his wife, Princess Louise of Belgium. And I quote, it was rumored that Philip's bestiality had so ruined his wife's health that he had her certified as mad. And this had my attention because <laughs> I looked around, but like, I don't know what, what does bestiality entail? And I hope it just means he was like a douche and that it no. doesn't mean what I think it means. He had a fur girdle. <laughs> he had a, oh God, literally. Yeah. Like, was he getting busy with the livestock? Was he a werewolf? And literally in my notes, did he have a fur girdle? <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway. man. And if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're going to have to backtrack and listen to past episodes. But um, so apparently there's only two past episodes. So I think oh, you, true. I think you'll be good. Easy to As catch established, <laughs> this is number three. <laughs> but anyway, like it, it talks about how no, 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 she, they had gotten divorced and she got in debt and had a bad romance with this real piece of work. And all that was what landed her in asylum. But anyway, I like I like the speculation that he was a werewolf better. And the thing about the ass that also caught my attention, their son, Prince Leopold, in October 1915, quote, a volley of shots rang out from a first floor flat in Vienna. Alarmed, the police fetched a locksmith to force the door, which kick it in. Why are you waiting on a locksmith? Yeah. Anyway, on the floor of the flat, they found a prostrate Prince Leopold. His Husser uniform had been ripped by revolver bullets. There was a hole where an eye had been. The flesh on his face had been eaten away to the bone. Camilla Rebecca, his mistress, had fired five shots at him and then smashed a bottle of vitriol in his face, exclamation point. And yet he still breathed and screamed. The last bullet she had kept for herself. Nearby she lay, half naked, shot through the heart. So, yeah. She, uh, was, she, was, she was mad about something. She's, she's a little testy. Um, Brother Americus, that curse was not playing. So all in all, 13 princes predeceased their own fathers. And this was shitty, to be sure. But here's where I submit that this is the real curse. And what a lot of people consider the actual curse on this family. A lot of descendants seem to have a built-in issue from birth. And it really kicked up in the family of a descendant whose name everybody will recognize. And that's Queen Victoria. And it was called the royal disease. And through Victoria's daughter, Alice's marriage, it also hit the German and Russian imperial families, the latter of which included the famous Romanovs. And y'all Google the Romanovs if you don't know this story, but I, I guarantee you'll recognize it pretty quick. So basically, a lot of these people, some as children, bled to death or came close. And one example was a three-year-old who had a minor cut to his ear and it took them forever to get it stopped. Like he almost died of blood loss from an ear cut. Then one of the Romanov kids as an infant kept randomly bleeding from his navel. And as he grew up, he would, quote, bleed into his joints. And I'm not sure how they knew that. But the point is, it was there was obviously something that was crippling him because he was in terrible constant pain and his limbs were impacted to the point he had to spend weeks in bed. And he wore heavy iron braces, which, you know, if my kid's bleeding and bruising a lot, I'm not exactly sure that I would, that my move would be to put him in heavy iron braces. But all right. Um, Let's weigh him down. Hey, there you go. Over in a Spanish branch. Oh, speaking of that, weighing him down. One of the baby boys nearly died from all the bleeding that happened during his circumcision. And as he grew, he would constantly bruise. And he and they ended up doing things like patting the tree trunks in the royal gardens because he was getting around. And it's also <laughs> said that besides the physical afflictions, quote, That's the curse. <laughs> 
I'm just picturing this kid just just head just head <laughs> heading into what is it like head headbutting trees and um yeah. it's like Petey stop. So, quote, the curse also supposedly diminished the mental fortitude of some family members as evidenced during World War II when Belgian King Leopold III was accused of selling out to the Germans. And I'm not going into that. I'll stick a newspaper article image and show notes for you guys. Okay, Victoria had married into the Coburgs, but it turned out that she was the one who introduced this into the family line. But it said she went to her grave still blaming her husband's side of the family. And perhaps because of the curse legend, but I think it still counts because it, I mean, it impacted the Coburg line from here on out, from then on out. So I get why people think that it counts as part of the curse since it isn't something, it's not like it's something other people did to them, you know? And it, it was, I mean, it was a combo of her and Prince Albert's genes that kicked this off and caused it to be active because... Well, I'll tell you in a second. Wikipedia has a great article with a chart that can show you how far this goes. And it's how it still impacts. Probably they estimate around 300 descendants today. So do you have a guess as to what it is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. Hemophilia, right? Yeah. It's fuck hemophilia. No, it's hemophilia. Hemophilia. Which, I mean, in simple terms, it just means you can't clot. You can't clot well. And it's hereditary for the most part. And some folks can be carriers, but not really manifest it symptomatically. And, you know, not every, like, huh. It's, it's complicated by inbreeding. It's, I'm not saying that oh, everybody cute. with him. Yeah. I'm not saying that everybody <laughs> with hemophilia, of course not. It's just one of these genetic fluke things, but the inbreeding, it's something to know. yeah, the inbreeding don't, don't help anything. And oh, side note, I did our family genealogy a couple years ago and I found a first cousin marriage situation that was not far enough back for me to be comfortable <laughs> um, we don't talk about it. We're not going to talk. We don't talk about it. Um, but anyway, so yeah, inbreeding and royalty are like fist bumping all the way back through history. And on this note, here's our second royal family. And let me tell you, in the giant file room in my mind, this family absolutely lives in the cabinet labeled, oh, bless their hearts. These people, <laughs> oh, the Habsburgs. So the House of Habsburg was a big deal. They were the origin of all the elected rulers of the Holy Roman Empire between the mid-1400s to the mid-1700s. And find a map. I'm not listing all the countries in the Holy Roman Empire. But they also had rules at different times in Bohemia, England, Germany, Hungary, Croatia, Illyria, the Second Mexican Empire, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, and several Dutch and Italian principalities. So they were no joke. One of their more famous members, who you'll know is Marie Antoinette, and you may have heard of Franz Ferdinand and Archduke Maximilian. So they're all part of the Habsburgs. They got around, just not outside of the family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get ready. We're going to get into the curses in a second. But in my research, <laughs> I discovered some tidbits about a few specific members of the family that just tickled me. And I'm going to share those with you because I, purely because I want to hear your reactions, you know, and listeners, too. There's this great article, by the way. Of course, it's going to be in show notes, but they their little headings and the way they phrase things are just beautiful. So I'm going to be quoting a lot. And I quote, Leopold I loved weird blood sports. In the 17th century, it was expected that royals would show their manliness by killing animals. Most chose to do so by organizing hunting parties. But Leopold I was different. The Holy Roman Emperor wasn't content with simply shooting animals. He had to kill them in the craziest ways possible. One of Leopold's favorite quote-unquote sports involved getting 
getting his courtiers to wrap a live fox in a blanket. Leopold would then arrange a gang of dwarfs to beat the helpless creature with sticks until it was dead. (laughs) (laughs) He's the worst. A gang of dwarfs. So he, he was trying to show off his manliness, but what did he do? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, killing animals oh. at a severe disadvantage seems to have been Leopold's specialty. At various times, he used falcons to hunt herons and had deer submerged in a deep pool before shooting them one by one with a crossbow. So, yeah. Oh, he's a real stud. This is really hunting. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> Idiot. But the prize for the craziest Habsburg blood sport probably goes to Rudolph II, who used cheetahs to hunt in the streets of Prague. And old Rudy, too, was also an alchemist. And I have zero doubt, by the way, that we're going to talk alchemy at some point. But anyway, and I quote, Rudy, too, was the last Habsburg emperor to base his court in Prague. This is probably because he absolutely trashed the dynasty's reputation while there. Despite being Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolph was less interested in ruling than he was in turning himself into a wizard. A fervent occultist, Rudy believed in some deeply strange stuff. He thought he was on the verge of discovering a philosopher's stone and granting himself eternal life. He hired famous alchemists to turn metal into gold and consorted with mystics like Nostradamus who wrote horoscopes for him. And Lord, y'all, I could talk about Nostradamus for an hour. Don't get me started. Well, I'll I'll just have to. I'll have to talk about him someday. (laughs) So on top of that, Rudy liked to collect mystical and occult objects. He's been linked to the ancient Jewish legend of the Gollum with the mystical beast supposedly being created on the streets of Prague. I guess amongst all the cheetahs, whatever. He has a Gollums. Just to recap, dwarves, Gollums, Nostradamus, cheetahs, wizards, Mm -hmm. this family... It's all good. It's all good. We're good so far. What's the problem? (sighs) One more, and I'm still (laughs) quoting. Franz Ferdinand would shoot anything that moved. Before he became famous at the beginning of World War I, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was famous for killing any animal he saw. A passionate hunter, he traveled the breadth of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, unleashing bullet-based death on its fauna. On a single day in the 19th century, he killed 2,140 animals. By the time he met his end at age 51, it was estimated that he personally had shot nearly 300,000 living creatures. The vast bulk of this insane number was taken up by pheasants, partridge, and deer. Deer in particular caused a big problem, since Franz liked to hang his hunting trophies. By the end of his life, his estate at Konoschwicht had 100,000 dead deer on its walls, and visitors were in constant danger of being impaled on antlers. He even kept <laughs> He even kept two elephants he'd shot as a gigantic waste paper bin and glorified ashtray respectively. And what? I like I know. Big ashtray, right? Like how the fuck much are you smoking, man? Now and I lied, I gotta do one more because of the waste paper basket thing. This this section of the article is titled Ferdinand One was genuinely an idiot. And I quote <laughs> While inbreeding was common, rarely did affected children ascend to the throne. Ferdinand I was the exception. In 1835, he became emperor of all the Habsburg lands, despite having the mental age of a child. Ferdinand was too impaired to figure out how to open doors. He found signing his name impossible. One of his favorite activities was to put a waste paper basket on his head and roll on the floor. 
at one point, he refused to believe that an eagle he saw was real because it only had one head, and the eagle on the family crest had two. Despite his difficulties, Ferdinand ruled for over a decade before being deposed in a coup in 1848. One of his last known utterances came when he heard that the people of Austria were, were revolting, and he goes, are they allowed to do that? <laughs> now, I hope I hope I've painted the picture. I, I genuinely hope I've painted a nice picture about this family. So, you know, at least he put something on his head. He was protected, not like, you know, the other kids that were running into trees. Oh, just head first into trees. Oh, all right. Now, here's the thing. The House of Habsburg suffered at the hands of not one but two curses. So one was that a Countess Caroli placed a curse on the family in 1848 while Franz Joseph of Austria violently quelled the Hungarian rebellion. The Countess's son apparently belonged to a group of the rebels who were captured and held hostage. And even though they promised the Countess that their lives would be spared, they, they killed them all. So she placed a curse on Francis Joseph. His wife and son were subsequently slaughtered, as was his nephew, and conflict consumed the empire. Then over a 200-year period, only 50%, you know, you want to talk about the stats on the Kaharis being bad, only 50% of the babies of the royal family survived under over a 200-year period. Very damn high, because especially, you know, as time went on, we're not talking about like the 12th century or something. So, but I have a suspicion as to what might have contributed a great deal to it. We're going to get to that in a second. But okay, the first curse happened way before that, and it didn't come from a human. The story goes that sometime in the 11th century, because, you know, if they could be a little more vague, ravens had saved a Habsburg ancestor called Count von Altenburg from being attacked and killed by a flock of vultures. And to show his immense gratitude, he had a watchtower constructed deep in the woods as a place for the ravens to live. And he called the sanctuary Vulture Mountain. Not, not, not Raven Mountain, but... Okay. Whatever. So then, about a century later, Habsburg family members made renovations to the tower, and it's said that it upset the ravens. The birds began attacking members of the Habsburg family, leading the family to eradicate the fowl. And from then on, it's said that ravens were always spotted at tragedies that befell the family members because it's said that they weren't ordinary ravens, but supernatural ravens called turfalcon, which all Ooh. I can hear in my mind is turducken. Um <laughs> So like turducken were haunting the family and did so it, for centuries thereafter, their calls, quote, becoming a death omen. So the Trafalcon turducken appeared at every battle in which the Habsburgs were defeated. And some insist that they appeared at the beheading of Marie Antoinette, which, listen, you got turducken at a wedding. I mean, at a wedding, at a wedding too. anything with a buffet. If you got the buffet at a beheading, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up. Yeah, I'm going to show up. Of course. You don't turn that down. No. Now, I'm not linking to any of what I'm about to say because, I don't know, that would have made too much sense. But there's videos and shit out there about how smart ravens are. And there's a study in the not-so-distant past that I recall reading about where they proved that ravens can recognize faces and even teach their young, which is probably just leading by example. And the people who did it, they did it by wearing masks. And certain masks would indicate you know, pissing off the birds. Like they didn't do anything to the birds. They weren't hateful to them, but you know, others, the, the one set of masks would just calmly walk through their living area and maybe they'd toss some treats. I'm not sure what all they did, but they were very kind. 
And then, you know, the others were loud and disruptive and, and whatnot. But the point is ravens are smart as hell. Crows yeah. too. Now, I say all that to say, smart as they are, this face thing, let's just say the Habsburgs were distinct in the face game. So the ravens weren't going to have too terribly hard of a time. The best way that I can describe this is, and I'll stick, oh, definitely, I've got pictures for you, and I'll put them in show notes. It's it's very bulldog-esque. It's this enlarged jaw that's also really long, but it, it juts really far, at, far forward, and their lower lips stick out. It's underbite to the extreme. Some of these folks couldn't even close their mouths completely, and it's actually called the Habsburg jaw. Oh, that's a good thing for them. Yeah, it's bad. And talking about those pictures, the portraits, that is, one article said this, quote, in the days before Photoshop, artists were relied upon to make kind portrayals of the rich and powerful. So as you view the portraits of the Habsburgs, remember, the artists were being generous. (laughs) Y'all have got to look at them. It's, oh, if that was generous, I can't fathom. So here's the real curse to me. The fact that this family was absolutely positively voracious with the inbreeding. Nine out of the 11 total marriages that occurred amongst them during the 184 years they ruled Spain were incestuous. And the family's genetic line progressively deteriorated into Charles II, the final male heir. And so like I said, a, do what? Flowers in the attic kind of action. Oh, yeah. This was, this was flowers <laughs> in the attic to like a 12th exponent. No I mean, one ever this, left the attic. <laughs> didn't nobody leave that attic. No, no. <laughs> oh, and it, oh yeah, we're going to get to Charles. Oh, poor Charlie. So, and like I said, you know, their birth rate was crazy, it, crazy high deaths and incest leads to higher rates of miscarriages, stillbirths and neonatal deaths. So to give that number a little more perspective, you've only got half of the Habsburg children surviving to the age of 10, you know, the ones that actually made it past miscarriage, stillbirth, et cetera, compared with 80% survival rate of children from other Spanish families of the same time period. So Charlie, yeah, Charlie, who's the culmination of the curse, he was also called Charles the Hexed or Charles the Bewitched. And it's probably because his parents were (laughs) uncle and niece. So his dad was also his great uncle. It made Charles their son, great nephew, and first cousin all the same time. Quote, (laughs) Uncle Daddy is what I'm saying. Due to the centuries of co-sanguinous marriages that led up to the birth of their final heir, modern researchers have found that the inbreeding coefficient, in other words, the likelihood that someone will have two identical genes due to their parents' level of relation, was almost as high as that of a child born of an incestuous relationship. So, you know, in other words, his was as bad as if it had been his, like, a brother and a sister or a father and a daughter, something like that. That That's how bad it was, even though they were just, uh, just, I say, yeah. just <laughs> uncle and niece. All right. So he had an uncle daddy? Uncle daddy. Uncle daddy. So... Charlie had a lower jaw so pronounced that he struggled to eat and speak. In addition to that, the king was, quote, short, weak, impotent, likely infertile, mentally handicapped, suffered numerous intestinal problems, and did not even speak until he was four years old and didn't walk until he was eight. One source says, quote, his family was anxious only to prolong his days and thought little about his education so that he could barely read or write. He had been fed by wet nurses until the age of five or six. 
meaning he was quite malnourished and was not allowed to walk until almost fully grown. Even then he was unable to walk properly because his legs would not support him. And he fell many times. His body remained that of an invalid child. The nature of his upbringing, the inadequacy of his education, the stiff etiquette of his court, his dependence upon his mother. She was a real piece of work. We're not getting into that. And his superstition helped to create a mentally retarded and hypersensitive monarch. Another place said he was described as short, lame, epileptic, senile, and completely bald before 35, always on the verge of death, but repeatedly baffling Christendom by continuing to live. Oh, no. Great quote. (laughs) The French ambassador that was sent to scope out a prospective marriage wrote back that, quote, the Catholic king is so ugly as to cause fear and he looks ill. And the chick that he was, yeah, just to the point, I like him. And the chick that he was scoping for took his word for it. And she was like, nope, nope. But, you know, women, am I right? So who cares what they want? They end up getting married and he's 18. And this chick, Marie Louise of Orleans, is a 17-year-old from French royalty. And this part, I will say this is sweet. It says, quote, to whom he was devoted. However, Marie Louise claimed that Charles suffered from premature ejaculation. But the lack of an heir made her unpopular because, you know, they always think it's the women's fault. Of course. (laughs) So the fertility treatments given to her gave her severe intestinal problems and she became depressed. The pressure to produce an heir is illustrated by the story that when an astrologer suggested that Charles's sterility was due to his failure to say goodbye to his father, um, he was three years old when his when Uncle Daddy died. His mother cousin, on this advice, had the body disinterred so that Charlie could do so. Unreal. Oh boy. Unreal. Oh, Just no. again, he's like in his twenties. He the Uncle Daddy died when he was three. <laughs> had so him dug up. Yeah, that, that body had some time to uh, to get pretty funky. Stank. Just stank. <laughs> All right. I don't care what kind of embalming, and I, I'm not looking this up. I'm sure they had some measure of it, but I, nope, nope. So Marie-Louise dies at 27 of what they said sounded like appendicitis, but I'm over here wondering what the hell fertility treatments entailed, and I don't want to know. But anyway, it says Charlie was really distraught over her death because he, he legit cared about her. All right, next up, Maria Anna, royalty from Austria. She was one of 12 children, so she was chosen basically for the fertility angle. Uh, that's a no-go. Fast forward, Charlie Boy died at age 39, and here ended the Habsburgs. And here we go. His autopsy revealed a lot of scoop. Quoting the physician who performed the autopsy, his body did not contain a single drop of blood. That's not possible. His heart was the size of a peppercorn. That's a little dramatic. His lungs were corroded. His intestines rotten and gangrenous. He had a single testicle black as coal. So it was atrophied. And his head was full of water. And that's hydrocephaly and explains some of the mental stuff. All right. Charles have been the subject, has been the subject of various studies on the impact of inbreeding, which have suggested he may have had the endoc- also, so this is just bonus frosting. He may have also had the endocrine disease acromegaly and a combination of rare genetic disorders often transmitted through recessive genes, 
including combined pituitary hormone deficiency and distal renal tubular acidosis. And of course, the mandibular prognathism, which is Habsburg jaw. To sum up, every recessive gene hit this kid. (laughs) Every one of them that I can think of has hit this child. And I'm sticking a study with lots of lovely graphics and show notes for you. Author Langdon, John Langdon Davies would later say about Charles, quote, we are dealing with a man who died of poison 200 years before he was born. If birth is a beginning of no man, was it more true to say that in his beginning was his end from the day of his birth, they were waiting for his death. That just sad. was beautiful. But it's beautiful. Isn't that lovely? And just yes. depressing as fuck. But, you know. <laughs> Uh, so there's your Kohari and Habsburg curses. And, um, you know, don't fuck your family. <laughs> that's pretty solid advice. Yeah. That's that's a good way to avoid being cursed, I think. Don't go scoping for dates at the family reunion. Please make sure your family tree forks. <laughs> and download, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yes, join us. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, you can check out our sources for each of the episodes at show notes, along with any supplemental things we think you might enjoy. Visit us on our blog at youtotallymadethatup.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Twitter at YTMTUPodcast and on Instagram at youtotallymadethatup. Feel free to contact us on those platforms, and you can also email us. That address is youtotallymadethatup at gmail.com.